Welcome to the second season of Where Are We Now, a podcast dedicated to catching up with NYU alumni who served in the role of RA and listening to their journey of life after graduating from New York University. My name is Billy Gong, and I'm tonight's co-host, a rising junior from Shanghai, China, studying economics with minors in business and sociology, and an RA in Carlisle Court. And I'm Tom Ellett, the other co-host, and I serve as the Senior Associate Vice President of Student Affairs. Billy, welcome to the hot seat. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you on with us. So tell us, you are getting ready to be an RA for the first time. Right. How are you preparing for this whole experience of being an RA? I've been an RA in high school before, so I think I've got some experience. But and it's a really big university here, and I'm dealing with a lot more people, so I'm not sure what to expect. But I think I'm ready. I think you're ready too. So you lived in Shanghai,、mm-hmm. and then you came to NYU to study. But you were in the United States first for high、right. school. Yeah. Was that really different? Yeah, it was really different from being in New York, even from being in Shanghai, because it's such a rural area and a lot of mountains around surrounding. The only way for us to get out of campus is by cars, and、uh, we don't have cars, so we only get out on weekends. So it's、yeah. really different. And in New York, you see a lot of different people from different races, different backgrounds. But in Colorado, it's more of a just single, single race. So. So really different. Yeah, so it must have been really different for you to come here、mm-hmm. and start to experience no mountains, no valleys to、right. go skiing.、Yeah. And here, what do you do for fun in New York City from not having the outdoors? In New York, I also try my best to find those places which I can do sports. I go to the Hudson Yards Park to play tennis there. That's like the only place I can play tennis here in New York.、So、It's hard. Yeah, it is. It really.、Hard. Do you also run? Mm, not really, but a little bit. But、mm-hmm. I think it's really beautiful. I saw a lot of runners there. It's really beautiful. It really is. And and now in the summertime, there's a lot、yeah. to do in New York City.、Yeah. Winter's gone.、Mm-hmm. Right. It's so beautiful here in, in it, New York during summer. It really is.、Yeah. So you're taking class now.、Mm-hmm. How are things going in classes? I'm taking one intermediate macro class. It's Kind of hard class, but I think it's really good for me to kind of focus on only one class during the summer, so I can just. Put all my efforts into it. Good for you, and you have visited the NYU Shanghai campus.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Last summer, I had an internship right next to NYU Shanghai campus. So、um, during the lunch, I, can, I go there, and for lunch, it's a really good dining hall. And also, I think the campus—it's a kind of small campus. It's just one building right now, but I think they're expanding it in other areas. But the campus itself is really modern, and、uh, there are—I think it's a really. Cool campus, very like modern. So we don't see those kind of buildings here on our campus. Not really, Not really. but hopefully in the future. There you go. Well, tonight, starting our second season, we have a great guest. Who's tonight's guest? Today, our guest is Maya Arden, who served as a graduate RA in Twenty Sixth Street and as a graduate assistant at Second Street. She graduated from Steinhardt with a master's degree in higher education administration in two thousand six, and worked for Nick Evans as a CDE as an RA and Charlene Bryan at Second Street as a graduate student. After NYU, she went to the University of Vermont Department of Residential Life before coming back to work at NYU. Maya Ardone, welcome to the podcast. Welcome, Maya, and thank you for joining us on tonight's show. It's a real pleasure having you on. How are you, and where are you? I'm doing well, thank you. I am currently in my apartment in Midtown East in Manhattan. Not that far from Washington Square. Nope, not at all. Maya, it's so good to have you on the show, and I actually see you from time to time. Tell us what you've been doing since you left NYU the first time. 
Yeah. So I left NYU and, and Tom, I know you, you love to tease me about my adventure up north. I do. I'm, I've always been a Northeast girl and I my heart has always been in New York. So it was pretty funny to everyone when I decided to leave and go to Vermont right after graduating from NYU. But I had a really great experience working one year uh, at the University of Vermont and then realized that my my home is where my heart is, which is where my family is, right near New York City. And I came back to work at New York University. And I've kind of just made my way around the college for the last few years. I started, I came back working at the NYU School of Medicine, and then I worked with freshman orientation at the Student Resource Center for about five and a half years. And more recently, I've been at NYU's College of Dentistry for almost six years. Outstanding. We're glad to have you back for sure. Thank you. It's it's a wonderful place to be. Okay, so let's jump jump back to your time at Washington Square. What was it like to transition to NYC as a graduate student to NYU? I have a very scary and fond memory of that first time that I got off the train at West 4th Street. And I remember going to pick up my ID as a grad student and just seeing Washington Square for the first time. I thought that it was massive. And now when I think about it, how funny it was, that perspective of what you think is such a huge space is actually quite small in in the scale of the city itself. But I I went to a small liberal arts college and I studied theater. And coming to NYU, I was terrified that I was going to be this very, very tiny fish in a very big pond. But I, I was up for the challenge and I really just wanted to get my feet wet and jump in. And I think I did my best to take advantage of as many opportunities as I could and learn as much as I could as a graduate student to really make the most of it. And become a professional that I wanted to be in, you know, two years time, which is such a quick turnaround after you just have four years as an undergrad. I did it and I loved every second of it. That's great. And and I think we mentioned, we didn't mention on the podcast, but Billy's actually thinking about a career in higher education at this moment, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I feel like all my past experience kind of matched this past and I'm still unsure about what my future would be. So I'm kind of leaning towards on learning more about higher education field. You couldn't have a better guest yeah, on tonight. Right. As a matter of fact, I will give one plug here. Maya is a recipient of the Distinguished Administrator Award, the highest award given to a professional staff member okay. at NYU wow. this past year. Well, congratulations, Maya. Oh, thank you, Tom. True. Uh, so tell us a little bit about that journey into higher education. So you're an undergrad, you're highly involved, I would imagine, as an undergrad, and then you decide, I'm going to jump in and do this for a career. What was that like? How did that, how did that evolve for you? It's exactly what you said. I was very involved as a college student, and you know, I mentioned I was a theater major, and I got into even being a resident assistant because my college had a version of the reality show during our orientation, but ours was called Raw View. It was produced by all of the RAs. And, you know, me being a freshman, seeing this show, and it was all RAs and orientation leaders, and I said, I have to be in this production. It didn't matter who the the actors were in the show. I just knew that I needed to be in that show. And when I realized that it was RAs, I said, well, I I have to be an RA. (laughs) Um, And so I was an RA in undergrad from sophomore year until I graduated. Um, And I also was a college student athlete, which was a really interesting experience being at an art school because we definitely weren't the majority on campus. One day, I just remember sitting with my hall director and 
trying to figure out what the next steps were and being terrified of what pursuing the arts might look like. And I said, I just want to do what I do as an RA for life. Like that's, I want to graduate and I want to do that. And she looked at me and said, what do you think I do? You know, before I knew it, I found out about the NYU program. There was another hall director who had completed the program and I applied on a whim and that was it. I, I was heading to NYU. You really had the opportunity here to do great things. Tell us a little bit about the roles that you played in Res Life. What were they here? So my first role, which is really funny to me now because I work around the corner, but I was an RA working with Nick Evans on 26th Street, and I had two floors of graduate students. And I was an RA for about six months when one of the hall directors had left a smaller building and someone in Res Life said that they wanted to, instead of hiring a full-time person mid-year and missing out, you know, on an opportunity either through like the national search process or just timing of year wasn't great for a search, they wanted to put in a part-time grad student in that space. And so I moved from 26th Street to the 2nd Street Residence Hall which was a really fun location to be in because at the time CBGB was still open and, you know, just drew a really great crowd that was in that neighborhood and it was a fun time to be over there. Okay, so you've been working as a graduate assistant, been working with different RAs at that time, and what kind of relationship did you have with the student leaders there? Being on the team at 26th Street, it was like really exciting because it was a combination of undergrads and grad students. And I think it was a really great learning experience for me because I came in thinking, oh, well, I've done this before. You know, I don't have anything to learn. I've done this before. I was an RA for three years in college. I'm going to teach you something. And it was a very humbling experience the first time that, you know, I was working with an undergrad and, and I felt like they were more confident in the situation than I was. And I took a step back and I said, wow, I needed to learn this. <laughs> I really needed to back off from my own ego and see that, no, like we're all we're all in it together. If we're really a team, there's something that every single one of us has to learn from each other. And it was so interesting going from being in a program where we're all pursuing the same field, but then coming back home and being a part of a team where there were lawyers and doctors and dentists and, you know, students who were studying film and TV and wanted to be teachers. And we all were on the same team together, I remember really looking forward to Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. to have that meeting and catch up with everyone. And then switching over to then being at Second Street, where I had to run the meetings, again, it was a really humbling experience to feel like, okay, I went from thinking I knew everything to reminding myself that I didn't know everything, and then to then have to report to a group of people who thought that, you know, I was the one who was in charge who should know everything, and then eventually just like building a team with them, which was also an interesting time for them because they had been working with the same person for six months and they had to learn what it was to then transition out from, you know, one supervisor to another. It was a lot about learning about myself and building teams and learning about the students that I was working with. When you think about uh, Billy starting the RA position in, in a couple of weeks, what advice do you give him for this, you know, building community? You do community building in your job today, and you have for all the jobs that you've had. What, what advice for an upper class? All right, you're going to be in Carlisle right. Hall. Yeah. Know your audience. 
Get to know who your residents are. Get to know what the things that they're interested in are. And find a way to connect with them. You're not going to have everything in common with every single person on your floor, but find something that, you know, when you see them in the hallway that you can make conversation with them about. Or if you see something in passing that you think that they might be interested in, bringing it up to them when you see them so that they know that you're actually invested in their experience. And I think that that would also be reflected in whatever type of programming that you do. So when I was a grad RA at 26th Street, I had a lot of international students, and they didn't really get to talk a lot about what it was to be away from home. And I remember doing programs where we could all bring in food from either our home country or our cultural foods that we liked and just getting together around food so that people felt like they could contribute something to the community. The other thing I would say is think about how you want your residents to perceive you and don't put yourself in situations that might compromise that perception. So it was very important to me that, you know, I wasn't holding students responsible for drinking underage and then they would see me out and doing the same thing. And so it was always really important to maintain that level of congruency that it wasn't going to be do as I say, but not, you know, not as I do. I wanted to make sure that, you know, you know who I am and this is who I am and I want to be transparent and letting you know that. And then there are going to be some times where I'm going to have to hold you accountable for things that it's not fun for me and it's not fun for you, but I feel comfortable doing it because I've established myself as, you know, this person within this community. Thank you for the advice. That's really helpful as being an international student. You know, it's um, I re- was really happy to see all the programs which kind of target to international, the national students, which kind of advocate our culture and also to learn different other cultures. So I would definitely take that. It was wonderful for me, too, because I got to learn so much from the people who were in my floor. And even in my first year living in residence as a graduate student, My first roommate was a last semester MBA student at Stern, and she had come from China. And within like the first week of being there, she took me to Chinatown and took me out to eat. And then she was done at school within her first six months. And my second roommate came from Korea, and she was there for the American Language Institute program, the ALI program. And she didn't even speak any English, and we communicated through food. You know, she took me to K-Town and we went out for a meal. And then my family is from Israel. So I made her an Israeli dinner at home. And we just found ways to like care for each other and show compassion for each other by making it our own kind of mixed home. Wow, that's awesome. So what kind of skills did you gain in the role of being in so many positions? The thing that I loved the most about being an RA is you learn a lot about teamwork and you learn a lot about decision making. And you also learn how to navigate crisis. Certain programmatic positions that I had didn't necessarily deal with crisis. Like you would see a student at a situation where you know, they're learning about financial management and then they're coming in and we're doing a program that's just like an easy networking event. Nothing too catastrophic is going to come out of that scenario. But when you go back and you're living among students where they're sometimes at their most vulnerable, you really do learn those skills in crisis management, which I have continued to use once I got out of, you know, doing more just out of like basic programming when I got into really more complex work, I always relied back on 
well, how did I have those difficult conversations when I was a student leader, and how can I translate that now? And also, I would say mediation, those roommate agreements that students have, I use that even now with graduate students because our dental students don't have housing on campus. They have to find someone either in their class or within New York City, and they get an off-campus apartment. And when I meet them within the first two to three weeks, I remind them, you know, your freshman year, you probably did a roommate agreement. I know you think everything's great right now, but, you know, the school isn't going to get involved and move your room because you've signed a lease now. And this is this is a different situation, so it might be worth setting up a bathroom cleaning schedule. And that's a conversation that I'm having with people who, you know, went to college, maybe lived on their own, and I'm reminding them of that. I think also the trustworthiness and relating to people. I think people always will want to speak to you if they feel like you actually genuinely care. And the way to do that is to, you know, create an environment where they trust you. And sometimes I'll even share a little bit about myself if I find that it can be relatable to them and maybe they won't feel as vulnerable if they open up because they feel like there's someone that might have had a shared experience. Those are all things that came to me when I was a student leader and that I still utilize to a great scale today. Let's transition into the full-time work. You currently work at the dental school. Tell us a little bit about what your day-to-day is and how you have learned about your population, the graduate students, which are very different, especially professional school, graduate school, uh, different than the needs of a traditional undergraduate or a, you know, a, a, a traditional graduate, if you call it traditional, um, humanities or social science. Coming to the dental school was such a leap for me because I was never successful in the sciences as a student. But what I learned and what's so wonderful about my students is even in their first year, they're very concerned about grades and they want to, you know, they want to feel confident that they know information. And so I've learned so much about what they do because I ask them when they're starting within the first few weeks after they've had a couple classes, I ask them to teach me about dentistry. And I learn a lot about what, and I, I probably know more about dentistry than I ever thought I would in my entire life because I ask my students to teach me what they know and it helps them build their own confidence because they have to practice their own recall within their study skills. And as far as how graduate student needs are different, in a lot of ways they're similar. I think it's more and more common now that people are pursuing additional degrees after they complete their undergraduate degree. And for a lot of our students in dentistry, They were so focused on being pre-dent or in a pre-health program when they were an undergrad that they might have missed out on some of the opportunities when they were in college. And so they come to us with very similar expectations of student involvement that might be typical from an undergraduate student. But then they're different because they're already thinking about what even is going to happen after dental school. And then they're thinking how can they get even more invested in a lot of their specialties and specializations. They are very well versed in what their area of interests are, and particularly as it relates to dentistry, some of them are really concerned with the business side. Some of them are really interested in public health dentistry. And so in that sense, I think it's not even just about getting that health degree, that first degree, but they're thinking more critically about, okay, so I'm going to have this degree and then what? And they're very future thinking about it. And I think a lot of that probably even relates to what 
the cost of dental education is now is they're already graduating thinking, i got to hit the ground running. So they're, they're similar, but there definitely are those differences. Thanks for that. We're going to take just a second to give a commercial shout out to one of our alums. We'll be right back. Hey, thanks for listening to the Where Are A Now podcast. My name is Justin Silver. I was an RA from Weinstein Hall, graduated in 2012 from Stern. I am the co-founder of the brand Avrani. We are premium skincare inspired by India's ancient beauty rituals. We're taking powerful ingredients like turmeric, neem, and honey and providing them in a shelf-stable, modern luxury format for you to enjoy. Check us out at Avrani on Instagram or at Avrani.com, and that's Avrani, A-A-V-R-A-N-I. That's Avrani, A-A-V-R-A-N-I. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you, Maya. We're back, and uh, Billy. Okay, so Maya, so what are some of the changing issues facing your industry? Yeah, I mean, I just mentioned the cost of higher education, and I think across the board it's going up, but even specifically within dentistry, you know, we hear a lot of students at our school talk about how expensive NYU is, and and our dental students say it's, it's the most expensive dental school, but the truth is, is we're right on par with other dental programs around the country. It's just that being in New York, the, the cost of living is relatively different than, you know, if you're going to go to a program other in another place in the country. So cost of education, whether you're an undergrad, whether you're a graduate student, whether you're a college student in the South or you're a college student here at NYU, I think that that's very relevant to students at this time. And then even within dentistry, I think corporate dentistry, a lot of rather than opening up private practices, a lot of students are choosing to graduate and go work for corporate dentistry, and that's becoming a more regular part of their conversations, talking about what they're going to do when they graduate, if they want to work for a dental company versus if they wanted to go into private practice. Years ago, they probably had a family member or a friend who was a dentist whose practice they might have joined, and now they're able to make different decisions. And the other thing that we hear them talking a lot about is within the politics of healthcare and the politics within dentistry, there's a lot of companies that are emerging now, like Smile Direct, for example, where people can do at-home dental care. And what that does, you know, to dental offices who, you know, they make their money seeing patients and people are trying to do their own dental care at home and the risks that are inherent in that, that's a very popular topic of conversation and something that we even get the American Dental Association coming in at orientation and talking to our students about why they should be interested in organized dentistry and and their organizations. So for us being in higher ed where groups like ACPA and NASPA are so relevant and we want to pay attention to what we're hearing from them about trends, it's even more important for our students and not more important, but, you know, at the same level of importance for our students to know what's going on within the American Dental Education Association and the ADA, to know what the field is that they're getting into when they graduate and what are the issues and why they should care. Okay, so you've been worked in higher education all your careers. What are you, what are you most proud of in your career to date? I think my network. 
I was thinking about that, and and Tom, you thank you for the plug about the the distinguished uh, uh, award because that for sure was a highlight. But when I really thought about what that award meant to me, I think it just it meant to me that I had established myself within a network of professionals that, you know, when I'm having my best moments, that is who I want to celebrate with. And when I am feeling at some of my worst moments, you know, that I can call upon. My my last supervisor, for example, is someone who, when I'm really struggling in the office and I can't figure out how to have a particular conversation with a student, I call David Vogel saying, and I just say, hi, old friend, can you, you know, talk me through this? How do I do this? I had never run a graduation before when I got to the dental school. I mean, we ran we ran Welcome Week, and that was a huge undertaking. But having to plan a graduation for 5,000 people at Madison Square Garden, I was terrified. And David does the presidential welcome every year. So I called him and I said, talk me through MSG. What do I need to know? And without being able to just make that phone call, I don't, I don't know how I would have really you know, sunk my teeth into starting to plan that event. And it's having a network like that, especially at NYU, that I think is what I'm probably the most proud of. That's excellent. And uh, we do have wonderful people who work around us. That's for darn sure. Incredible people. I I mean, I I love where I work. Yeah. Why don't you talk a little bit about, for, for Billy again, about the cycle of the academic life you have lots of friends who work in lots of different industries, but what? how do you prepare for this academic cycle? Like right now, I would assume graduation's over. It's a little bit different feel than during the academic year for you. Well, you would think. So they actually changed our curriculum. So our first-year students are starting on July 1st. <laughs> Yikes. So our students, their academic year looks very different than the general NYU population. And so whereas they used to start in the last two weeks of August, they're now going to be showing up on July 1. And so we're having to rethink what our academic year looks like. So I will, I I feel like I can answer that question for you better this time next year. But yes, there are, there are definitely those points in the year where you can finish a huge project and then say, okay, I know there's going to be a little bit of a lull after this, you know, the kickoff of the school year and then getting everybody to transition. And I know in residence life, we talk a lot about what those first six weeks look like. And it's similar when students are adjusting to an academic curriculum. You know, someone who is transitioning from undergrad to grad and isn't used to the academic rigor, we have a lot of conversations with them about studying for this looks different than how, you know, you may be taking biochemistry for the second time. You might have had it either in a postdoc program or when you were an undergrad, but it's different in dental school. And how are you going to prepare for that? And then a lot of times it's very shocking for students, the difference. So, you know, helping them get through that. And then there's this race to finals and winter break. And then the spring semester starts, and it's a slow roll, and then all of a sudden, all of the programs that happen as we head towards graduation really take over for March and April. And then, as you know, everything culminates, you know, with May's graduation. And summer typically has been pretty quiet, but we will see what this year looks like. Sorry, I wasn't aware of that change. That will be a challenge. Yeah, it'll be, it'll definitely be interesting, but we're, you know, we're constantly, if I've learned anything, if I have learned anything, it's the second we say, oh, we've done this once, next year we'll know how to do it. Every year has been, something has been different. We've added something. We wanted to try something new or experiment with something new. 
And I have to say, you know, that's what I love about where we work because I think that's what keeps me here. It's it's very hard to get bored working at NYU. Absolutely. So for you, how do you find a work and life balance here? I think that was something that was very challenging for me, depending on the type of role that I had and where I was at in my career. The first ten years out of grad school, I think there was this mad dash to hit the ground running and work as early as I could and as late as I could, and really wanting to do as much as I could to put my get my name out there and really prove myself. And that's not to say that I don't still feel that way, but I think I've just learned how to how to work a little bit more efficiently. To be able to make time for the life things, because you know, even we tell our students, life doesn't stop while you're in school, and you know, life for people who are working full time, life is happening while you're still managing your job. And so, the thing at the dental school is we have a pretty、um, regular schedule where we're there at nine, and most days we're out by five, five thirty. Um, you know, I still respond to emails after hours, and for sure, I'll take you know very pressing phone calls when I'm not in the office. But for the most time, we're we're pretty much nine to five, and and I try to you know respect my students' time and be aware of what their curriculum is and times of years when they have exams to not schedule meetings or programs where I know they're not available and it's going to stress them out to put that on. And it's one of those practice what you preach things. You know, I wouldn't want them to ask me to do things. You know, a student emailed us and said, "I really want to have this meeting, but I know you have graduation coming up. So can we schedule it two weeks from now?" And I just kind of sat back and stared at my computer, and I was like, "Wow, they they get it. Like they know." And you know, we try to extend that same courtesy to them as often as we can. That's great, and it's a, a lesson learned for us to pay attention to when students realize our life as well, which is great to hear. Yeah, it was such a mo- it was such a great moment, and I I made a point of thanking him when he came in and saying like that was really affirming for me that you recognize that because it wasn't a graduating student, and so the fact that even in you know early on in their career they're starting to see the ebb and flow of the academic year, I just was like, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Are there skills that graduate students can be taught as it relates to the social and focus we have in student affairs? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, and and Tom, actually, you had helped us with this too. I don't know if you remember when I first started working at the dental school, we brought you for our leadership track. I do remember and that. And we still continued on with that, and we do programs throughout the entire academic year as part of our leadership track. And then it culminates in a retreat where we bring 50 students to a retreat because when and Dr. Stacy Ripke, who also is an alum of the NYU Higher Ed program, she started working at the dental school six months before me. And when I came on, I looked at her and I said, "Our students need a retreat." You know, in an undergrad, we always had a retreat or a training where we came together to learn something in an informal environment where everyone's like walls kind of came down, and it allowed us that space to really engage each other in a really positive way. And she looked at me and she said, "Exactly, I agree." So a lot of the things that we do with undergraduate students, whether it's you know just basic training for material or programming for our student leaders. Our grad students really benefit from that, and it's you know emotional intelligence, it's ethics, professionalism, it's how to, it's even as simple sometimes as how to write a professional email. 
because how what it looked like in college is very different when you're already starting to think about how you want to manage your own business. And so we actually spend a lot of time teaching our students what we know in higher education, even when it comes to preparing our student council for meeting with our deans, you know, we ask them for their agenda and we help them to really advocate for themselves in a way that they can get the buy-in that they're looking for rather than putting off the people that they're meeting with. You know, there's a way to have a conversation and ask for things where you're bringing people in. And that's something that we're always encouraging them to do and trying to train them in. Okay, so for now, after graduating from NYU over over 10 years, do you still stay in contact with other NYU alums? And if so, it's time for the shout-outs. <laughs> yeah, um, so the beautiful thing about the higher ed program is all of us, for, me, for the most part, a lot of us have either stayed at NYU or are at colleges around the country or even internationally. So one of my best friends from grad school, Sue Kalin, actually works at the University of Toronto. And another friend, Lindsay Sutton, is now the director of admissions of UB Law. My friend David Pei and Adam Ebnett are out at NYU Shanghai. You know, people have moved around the around the country, but we've still stayed in touch. And the RA network has also been really incredible um, to see what everybody's doing. And you know, there are students who I've seen who are on Broadway and urban working for Urban Space, and they're doctors. And someone I saw recently is a talent agent. And that's the thing that I really love about having worked with Welcome Week because you see someone when they first start school. And social media, the one of the positives is it gives us the gift of being able to stay in touch. And so I see students who I ran their orientation in 2008, and now I'm seeing them, you know, seven years out of college and getting to see them really in the thick of getting into, like, the middle of their career or, you know, later into the early part of their career. And it's, it's just really exciting to see what people do after they graduate. It's so true. Uh, the NYU students do make such impacts around the world in all different kinds of walks of life. I hear that noise. It's time for the speed round. Question, what is your all-time favorite book, Maya? My all-time favorite book, it's actually, it's based on an old Yiddish folktale that my grandma gave me, and it's called It Could Always Be Worse. And it's this story about this family that complains about not having any room in their home. And they go to, you know, the wise man in the village who tells them, bring in all the animals on your farm. And then they go back and they say, now there's even less room. And then they say, bring in all of your neighbors. And then they say there's still no room. And the story goes on where the wise man is saying, bring in all these excess things. And then on the last day, he says, now take everything out. And the book ends that everyone slept quietly in their huge home that night because they realized that there could, you could always have less than what you have and that you should really be appreciative for what you, what you have. Great lesson. Okay. What do you miss most about living in the residence hall? I think the community. There's something very special to living in a residence hall and coming home at night and seeing your friend or your RA just across the hall. And when you when you go to NYU and you live in the residence hall and then you move into an apartment building, you don't really see your neighbors. <laughs> or when you become friends with your neighbors, it's just like you feel like there's a very different boundary than when you're going through a schooling experience, too. So I really just miss that, you know, being on the hall and people having their door open and hearing, you know, other people's music or getting a snack or having a floor meeting, you know, things like that where you really felt like you were a part of the place that you lived. 
having your your building co-op meeting is very different than having your your floor meeting. <laughs> I definitely miss that. Totally believe that. Your favorite NYU professor. So it's actually a faculty member at the dental school. His name is Barnett Bucklin. He is a U.S. Army veteran, and he teaches the largest course in the first year in the D1 curriculum. He basically teaches them what they need to know for their hand skills to continue on. And he is very much that teacher that I always loved in primary school who was so hard on you. And I just needed him. You know, you just need that teacher to, to like you because they're that tough. But when you actually really get to know him, it's because he takes the student success so so personally, and he feels like if the student doesn't do well, that he has failed them in some way. And I just, he has such a passion for education and such an approach that I just, I really, really love about him. Favorite RA training program? BCD, Behind Closed Doors. Everyone loves that one. <laughs> You'll know what it is soon, Billy, I promise you. Yeah, and you know, when I was saying earlier about how I definitely gained a lot of humility coming into the graduate RA role, I will never forget like when I was in behind closed doors at NYU as a grad student and I had three undergrad RAs with me I walked into the room and I was like oh, I'm gonna show them how it's done I did this for three years and I was the RA who was doing all the the tricky things to stump people and the RAs in the room completely stumped me and I remember just thinking like you again like you don't know everything and every situation has something to teach you and so you know we talk a lot about in, in higher ed and the language we teach students even in diversity programming of like step forward step back you really have to take that moment and say like anyone can teach you something at any single point and that was the first humbling experience in RA training and I, I still think about it and, you know, I think I learned the most from it. Excellent. Final question. Your best program you did as an RA? I think it was, a, you know, the around the world in 80 minutes, you know, working with all my international students. And we sat together for about, you know, let's call it an hour and a half, not an hour and 20 minutes. But we just we got together and everyone just brought their food. You know, when I was at 26 Street and we all had our own kitchens, we were able to cook food. So everybody came downstairs and just it was a really great event. Okay, Maya, thank you so much for spending some time with Tom and I to discuss your journey and where your life after NYU has taken you. Thank you. As always, thanks to our listeners who can stay connected with NYU RA alums who are living the Dream School alumni version of life. Maya, you are such a special person, and NYU is really blessed to have you here educating our students, welcoming our students, and reminding them that being a good person is more than half of what we need to do when we graduate from NYU. So thank you so much, truly. Thank you, thank you. Absolutely, special thanks to my engineer for year two, Juliana Fonseca Alessa, my executive director, Duncan Lemieux, and the executive producer, Shahara Ranasing. And to the current professional staff and alums of NYU like Nick Evans, Charlene Bryan, who assisted these great RAs in skill acquisition along the way. If you like the show, look for more content on our newly unveiled NYU RA alumni website. We'll have lots of pictures, favorite books, and of course, our alum accomplishments. Until next time, think about how you can learn, then teach it to others.